welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and the best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and I created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are. And that is why every single week I bring on a guest with tools to really help you long-term upgrading your confidence, both in your work life and in your love life. And I'm also so grateful to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. They create the highest quality CBD on the market, and it's this trust I have with their brand that has led me to use their products every single day. Everything they make is organically farmed, gluten-free, with absolutely no THC in it. And today, I want to tell you about one of their game-changer products that probably everyone needs, especially when they're having a stressful week and they're on the go, and it's called Soul CBD's Dream CBD Capsules. Each capsule has 25 milligrams of pure CBD and two and a half milligrams of melatonin. So whenever I travel to a different time zone, these are what allow me to get past the jet lag. I simply take one every night of my travels about 30 minutes before bed, and it pretty much guarantees me to be able to sleep through the night. And after four to five nights traveling and taking them every night, I'm officially on the new time zone. I also take a dream CBD capsule the night before a really big or important work day. Like if I have a meeting that really matters, a speaking engagement that might be keeping me up in my thoughts all night. What I love about the dream CBD capsules the most is that I never wake up groggy the next day. I'm refreshed. CBD and melatonin truly go together like peanut butter and jelly. So to get your dream CBD capsules now and to be on to better sleeps, head on over to ashleystall.com slash soul and make sure you use the code U-Turn at checkout for 15% off your order. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L dot com slash S-O-U-L and use the code U-Turn. Y-O-U-T-U-R-N at checkout. Now let's get in to this week's episode. Successful people know how to deal with rejection and they can handle a multitude of no's in order to get to the yes. And I would, I would even argue that you take a step forward because every time you get rejected, in my opinion, you learn a little bit better how to handle it the next time. Um, and so that's the first thing that I would say is understanding that first of all, there's nothing to lose by asking. There's nothing to lose by continuous rejection. Like there shouldn't be any sort of, from a logical standpoint, if you think through it, there's nothing that I'm losing by continuing to ask for this thing or continuing to you know, get another job interview or whatever it might be. What's going on, U-Turn friends? It's Ash here. I'm so excited to bring this week's guest on the show. It's Travis Chappell. He is the founder and CEO of Guestio, which is a new software that connects high-level podcast guests, content guests with high-level content creators. And he's the host of the top-rated show, Build Your Network. I was just on his podcast In addition to being featured in Entrepreneur, NASDAQ, Yahoo Finance, and ReadWrite, Travis has also been featured in Forbes as a top 10 podcast that will change your life alongside Joe Rogan, Gary Vaynerchuk, Tim Ferriss, and the like. 
He has so much to offer around how to network. And I wanted to ask him about how to build your network, how to face job hunt rejection, and so much more. We're also going to talk about why everyone should be starting a podcast right now. And sometimes it feels like everybody is, but you, as you're listening, probably haven't. And we want to talk about that. So Travis, thank you so much for being here. Ashley, what's up? Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Up. Well, I, okay. So what got you so into networking? Cause I know for me, it just kind of rocked my world and changed my life when I was trying to get a job and I hated everything, you know, like yeah. 10, 12 years ago. Um, and then it made me love my life. So I'm curious, what was the moment for you that you thought like, wow, this thing is amazing. Yeah, that's a great question. I kind of actually stumbled on it. You know what I mean? I, it was one of those things where I was at, uh, a pivot in my career, which from what I understand probably could uh, be something that a lot of people listening to this right now can relate to. And so I was at this big kind of crossroads where I knew I didn't want to be doing what I was doing anymore, uh, but I didn't know what I was going to do next. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was kind of one of those weird positions where you're like, you're totally not engaged in the thing that you're trying to do still because you know you don't want to be doing it and you know that you shouldn't be doing it, uh, but you don't know what you're going to do next and you can't just abandon all of your bills because they still got to get paid. So I was in one of those kind of weird transitions in my life. And this is when I first started getting into podcasting. And I started realizing that, wow, these podcasters can work online from anywhere in the world. And they're making like millions of dollars just having a podcast. How is this possible? Wow. So I started doing more research on it and basically came to the decision that I wanted to start my own podcast and that that was going to be the next step for me. I didn't exactly know how it would turn into revenue or how I'd be able to monetize it, but I knew that it sounded interesting and it seemed like something that I could pick up at least fairly quickly. So I wanted to start the podcast, but then at that point it was like, okay, well, what do I talk about? And I, I didn't know a lot about podcasting, but I took some free online trainings and stuff like that and, and figured out pretty quickly that you can't just start a podcast about nothing and expect it to succeed. You know, you can't just try to become the next Joe Rogan and actually become the next Joe Rogan. It doesn't work <laughs> that way. So I was like, okay, well, what do I talk about? And the only real thing that I had experience in at the time, I was like 23, 24 at the time. And the only real thing that I had experience in was sales. I had done door-to-door -door sales uh, training and door-to-door -door sales and door-to-door -door recruitment and managing and consulting, every, a, bunch of, a bunch of different things inside of the door-to-door -door industry uh, from the time that I was like 19, 20 years old until the time I was 23, 24. And I was making six figures as like 22, 23-year-old, just knocking doors, 100% commission door-to-door -door sales. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll just talk about sales. So I go over to iTunes and I type in the word sales. And there's only about 3,000 podcasts that exist that talk about sales and how to sell better and stuff. And um, I noticed that it was a lot of them were like top rated people who were really well known and who'd been teaching on sales for 30 years. And I was just like, hmm, this space seems to be pretty competitive. So um, if I want to select an area where I can kind of create my own blue ocean, then I need to talk about something different. But I'm basically out of skill sets to talk about. <laughs> That's the only real one that I have. So I asked myself the question, like, why, why did I think that I was good at sales? Like, what, like when I really look back at it, what caused me to be able to be better than um, the rest of the people that I worked with in that context? And the answer was getting around people who had done it on a higher level than I was doing it and digesting the information and then implementing the information. Like, mm -hmm. That was pretty much my MO. 
You know what I mean? I, I wasn't out there to try to reinvent the wheel. I didn't need the credit. I didn't have to come up with my own, you know, thing to be able to feel good about it. It's just like, look, you're telling me like you have done this for a certain period of time, right? Okay, great. You have these results, right? Okay. The results that I want and you've done it by doing this exact thing. Cool. I'm just going to plug into that exact thing and give it a go and then inject my own personality, my own things, you know, into that, um, into that, uh, system as we go along. Uh, so at that point it was just like, okay, cool. So maybe I'll do a podcast about networking. Cause it seems like, you know, that I, I knew at the time I'd listened to enough Jim Rohn to know that your network is your net worth and that your average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And, um, I started looking at the relationships in my life and not to say that they were not good, like they're great people, but I knew where I wanted to go in my professional life. And I knew that I didn't have anybody in my network that has already been there. And that was kind of scary to me because I was like, if there's nobody that's been there, my odds of being the one to figure it out without knowing anybody that can help me get there are significantly lower than if I just went out and got to know people who'd already been there, done that, and they can give me the system to plug and play into. So um, I go back to iTunes and I search networking, figuring on similar results because networking is an activity that produces really good results, just like sales is. And to my surprise, there was just nobody that was talking about it. There are some episodes on shows and everybody kind of touches on it, but there was no one show dedicated specifically to talking about networking, building relationships better. And so I was like, well, I, I guess I could be that be that show. So I, I started build your network, um, at that, at that time. And the interesting thing, Ashley, is that I, was no self-proclaimed expert. I had not, I had never even been to a networking event um, when I started my show about how to network. Um, the only thing that I did was I took the role of the journalist, which is kind of the cool thing about podcasting and creating content to begin with is that you don't have to be the expert to get started. A lot of people think that, that you got to be an expert. Um, or Because if you're not an expert, then you're the fake it till you make it guy. Well, there's a cool middle ground because I don't believe in the fake it till you make it mentality. Um, and I uh, also don't believe in waiting until this magical day where you're going to finally knock that expert status, um, you know, into into the uh, the green. So I uh, basically started as the journalist, and it was became my job to have conversations with as many successful people as I could, and then ask them about their best networking habits or their best relationship building tools, or their you know the the places that they're going, the uh, the social media that they use the most, how to network in this context or in that context, and I basically use it as my own you know networking coach, essentially, where I was just having conversations. That's why if you go back to the beginning of my show, the first 150 episodes I think that we did were all interviews. I didn't do one solo show. I wasn't pro pro providing any of my own original content. All I was doing was getting good people on and asking them questions about how they built their network and then relaying that information back to my audience. Um, and so that's what really kind of got me down that the networking path was just kind of having an interest in it, asking myself like, you know, is this something that I'm okay with spending the next couple of years of my life learning about? And the answer was a resounding yes, because I knew how important it was. And uh, so just went ahead and started it and started taking action down that path. Wow. I'm so tempted to ask you now what some of the best networking hacks are that people have told you. Cause I feel like sometimes it can get really repetitive. Like for me, I'm all about the cold networking versus the warm networking, because obviously Joe Schmo, your old friend's dad, isn't necessarily hiring for your dream job. So sure. it's so much more effective to network with somebody who is in a position to do that. But are there a few tips that you never forgot when you heard them that we could share with everybody here? Sure. Um, the, the very first one, because I just think that 
you can't even mention the word networking without talking about this. And it, it might seem obvious, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Um, and it's all about value. I think, I think networking and value should be synonyms. You know what I mean? And uh, I always tell people that your network will grow in direct proportion to the amount of value that you can offer to other people. So then what so, do you say to the people who are listening, who are like, I'm new to the workforce. I'm trying to network with all these big fish. I have no value to offer. Uh, yeah. So I'll tell you a story. I'll answer your question with a story. <laughs> so I, uh, very, very similar mindset when I got started, because just to give you a little bit of a background, I grew up in an extremely religious household and environment, uh, kind of a bubble of sorts. So to give you an idea, I graduated kindergarten, eighth grade, high school, and college on the same 20-acre campus, not even like the same zip code or the same area, like the same one campus, which was also the campus that I went to church on. So literally Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because Saturday we had soul winning, which is basically just knocking on people's doors and inviting them to church on Sunday. Um, I was there at this one campus from the time that I was three until the time that I was 21 years old. So pre-kindergarten and post-college, I lived basically my entire life, you know, uh, you know, minus the summers. So maybe 250 to 300 days a year were spent on this campus. And so I say that to say when I left that world and I decided to not go into full-time ministry after I graduated college, I was kind of starting from scratch. I, I when I, in terms of my network, I didn't have a buddy from college whose dad could, you know, put me on to some opportunity. I didn't I didn't have any friends who made money, you know, the friends from college, they were in ministry, you know what I mean? The friends from high school, like we didn't have career counselors at our high school. Like they basically were just like, Hey, you're either going to go in ministry at the college that we have here on campus, or you're going to do something else. But if you do something else, we're not going to help you in whatever that thing is. So like, you know, out of my class, like there was no real, there was nobody that actually went the, the regular career path. Like nobody went to a regular four-year university. It was basically like, you're going to the college on the campus. You're not going to college at all. You're going to the military or you're going to the local junior college for a year or two until you drop out or get your AA or whatever. So, um, so when I left that world, I truly was starting from scratch in terms of my network. I didn't know anybody, and I was basically at the point where I needed to, to you know, try to try to figure out uh, how I was going to be able to get around uh, those types of people. So, when I was starting, I, I was quite literally starting from scratch. So when I jumped into the podcasting game, I there was this there was this guy I wanted to connect with, and he was one of the people that really kind of, you know, uh, not to overuse this term, but inspired me to start my own show and go down the podcasting path. And his name is John Lee Dumas. He has a uh, award-winning show called Entrepreneurs on Fire. And that was one of the podcasts that I listened to. And it was his podcast course that I took that helped me figure out that I wanted to start a podcast. Hey, U-Turners. I want to take this moment to say that this episode is sponsored in part by SaneBox, an email tool that I have been using every single day to be more productive and less scattered. With the average person working and getting 100 to 200 emails a day, I don't know about you, but I've been fighting the fight with email for a few years now, and after continuously losing, I decided that I needed help. I did my research and I was so excited to find SaneBox as an affordable tool for my Gmail, and it works with any other email provider really, that can sort your emails for you before you open up your laptop and get lost in the sauce. All you'll see once you download it is on your sidebar where there's words like inbox or trash. There will be a couple other new folders that I'm totally obsessed with. One is called Sane Later, which is pretty much code for all the emails coming in that you don't need to see. And the other one, my favorite one, is called the Sane Black Hole, 
which is where you can drag and drop emails that you just don't want to be subscribed to anymore. The same later box automatically uses artificial intelligence to know that you don't want that email and it puts it right there in that folder. Every few days, I check my same later folder, skim through it, and I'm just so happy to be saving so much time. I used to spend every single morning overwhelmed by my inbox and now I have so much more time on my hands thanks to SaneBox. So for the first couple of weeks, I monitored my SaneBox once a day and dragged and dropped messages from senders that I would have wanted in my regular inbox and now I find that it perfectly knows who should and shouldn't be waking their way in my inbox. So head on over to www.sanebox.com slash U-turn. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to access 14 days of SaneBox for free and a $25 credit to get a serious discount on the super affordable year membership now. It's time we all get out of our inbox and back into our life. Now let's get back to this week's episode. And uh, so I, I knew that I wanted to go learn from him and get around him a little bit. But again, starting from scratch, I didn't know how I could add value to him. And that became like my goal. Mm. So I... I ended up going down to a mastermind at his house in Puerto Rico uh, with a few other people. And I knew that this was an opportunity for me to be able to have some sort of a lasting impression where it wasn't just, oh, that's that guy that paid to come to my house that one time. It was like more like, oh yeah, this is Travis. He's a friend. He's a you know entrepreneur. It'd be like an actual relationship. But the problem with having an actual relationship with somebody is that there has to be some sort of mutual value exchange, right? Yeah. There's got to be some reason for you to be able to hang around with those people and for those people to hang around you. There's some sort of mutual value exchange. And so I, uh, I was looking so much to try to add value that um, in college, I had done photography and stuff. I was always trying to make a quick buck here and there. And so I picked up photography in college to shoot some weddings and engagements and things like that to make some extra money. So I was like, oh, I'll bring my camera down and I'll uh, take some footage of their house that they can use for like, you know, marketing their next event or something like that. And they have this beautiful home with an infinity pool overlooking the beach in Puerto Rico and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll go buy a drone and get some awesome drone footage. And so I, I bought a drone and we go back and we go down to Puerto Rico and the first day I take the drone and I throw it up in the air. And this is like the second time I've ever flown the drone. And I was like, I probably should put some practice in, you know what I mean? So it was great timing. We're all standing there on the roof. It was me and a couple of the other attendees that were there. And, um, you know, it was perfect timing. It was a sunset in Puerto Rico on the beach. I'm getting some amazing footage and I come to land the drone, but I had thought that the, the drone landing was a little bit more automated than it turned out to be. So as I'm landing the drone, I thought I was in the clear, but basically one of the propellers caught a plant that was on the roof of the condo that we were staying where I was trying to land the drone. It was just like, you know, small, like 20 by 20 foot area or whatever it was. Um, So it wasn't very large to begin with. Um, And so I hit the plant, it takes the drone, like throws it into the brick wall and breaks two of the propellers. And it only comes with one replacement propeller. So literally I bought this $1,200 drone to come down here and add value to this guy in some way. And it went up in flames almost literally in front of my eyes. So I was kind of back to square one trying to figure out like, what do I do? And the bottom line is this, there's always a way that you can add value. You just have to maybe work a little bit harder to figure out what it is when you're first getting started. I love what you're saying too, because it it gives you an invitation. I think sometimes networking can be very spray and pray. Like, let me network with everyone, which I get there's value in making it a numbers game, but 
I think fixating on super connectors, people who are super connected exactly. and powerful um, in their Movers own right. Yeah. Movers and shakers. Cause not everybody is making networking a part of their life. And it's quite obvious when somebody is. Mm -hmm. So actually giving yourself that time, like you did to sit and think to yourself, how can I, you know, do something unusual that makes me memorable and adds value to this person. And, and, you know, I, listening to your drone footage, I'm guessing you were going to give him the drone footage so that he could use it in his mastermind videos for marketing or something like that. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So that, that was the plan. Uh, yeah. but then the, the plan, you know, literally crashed in front of my eyes. So at that point I was like, well, how do I add value now? You mm -hmm. know, and now I'm just this guy that's at his house, you know, this a broken drone. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Which is like embarrassing now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Cause I was trying to be like, Oh, I'm a photographer. And then like, all I do is crash a drone when I get there and get them actually absolutely nothing. Memorable so, in the wrong way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly what was happening. So at, at that point it was just kind of like, now I'm back to square one, right? This guy has more connections than I do. He's at that point, he, he, he was doing a daily podcast for like four and a half years. So he did 2000 podcast episodes in a row, all interviews. So he's got a crazy network. He's interviewed Tony Robbins and Damon John and, you know, literally the top people in this space. And he gets, you know, millions of downloads on his show. He makes millions of dollars. Like he, he like, every, like, I don't have anything Killing to offer. It. Basically. Yeah. Exactly what you were saying at the beginning of this is like, well, what if I don't have anything to offer? And that's exactly the headspace that I was in. But instead of letting that kind of discourage me, I was just like, well, let's keep looking. Hmm. And so, so while we were there, uh, he, tells me that he was going to be keynoting this podcasting event that I was going to be at. And he had an intern, this, this guy that just kind of volunteered to work his booth for him. And at his booth, he was going to be selling, you know, John had written these journals. And so at the booth, they were trying to sell more of these journals at the event. And uh, so he was like, Hey, do you mind stopping by my booth for like 10 minutes at the beginning of the event and just giving this guy some closing lines? Cause he had heard, you know, obviously that I had a, a experience in direct sales and I worked door to door a bunch. And I also, um, you know, in door to door, we would work home shows and different trade shows and stuff like that. So I had a lot of experience doing those types of things and I got paid pretty well to do it uh, for, you know, comparatively to how young I was. And so he asked me to stop by the booth and train this guy for 10, 15 minutes. So I was like, bro, I'll just work the booth for you. So I go to the event and do a job that would normally pay me thousands of dollars, if not into like over $10,000 for a weekend. Because if I'm working like three days at a home show, eight hours a day, I'm going to walk away with thousands of dollars. I knew that at the time selling the products that I sold, you know, when I was doing door to door and retail sales and stuff. So I go to this event, I volunteer my time, I pay for my own hotel, I pay for my own travel, I have them ship the journals to my house and I drive them there to save them money on shipping and packaging um, and, and like holding costs at the hotel um, and stuff like that. So I drive them there, I unpack it, I set up the booth, like I literally volunteered my entire weekend to do three days of free work selling these journals, zero commissions, nothing. And um uh, that became a way for me to be able to get to know and hang out with John a little bit more in another context and then got to know his uh, girlfriend and his, well, his fiance now and his uh, business partner, Kate, and got to hang out with them for a little while. And, uh, and then like a week later, he's speaking at another event in Vegas, like three months later. And I, uh, he asked me to come out and work that booth for him there. So now I get to come out to another event. And at that event, he introduces me to these two or three different people. And if you get an introduction from somebody like that, who's well-connected and, and, and looked at in a positive light, and he's speaking at the event, then the, and those introductions go a lot farther uh, because it's within the context of knowing this guy that they, these people have already known, liked, and trust for years, trusted for years. So 
I say all that to say that sometimes it seems like you can't offer value in any way, shape, or form, but there's probably a way that you can do it. You just got to think a little bit harder. You know what I mean? And and that's why I say that your network will will increase in direct proportion to the amount of value that you can add to other people because at the time, it, that's exactly what it did. My network increased a lot slower back then than it does now. Why? Because now it's so much easier for me to add the same amount of value to somebody like John than it was for me back then to volunteer three full days of my time. That's obviously not a scalable way to grow your network, right? Like volunteering time like that. Um, but at the time, it was all I had to offer. And the, the 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 thing is, is that people that are just starting out, young people especially, that don't, they don't think they have anything to offer. You got one thing. And that one thing is extremely, extremely valuable, especially to people who don't have a lot of it. And that's time. Mm-hmm. So me volunteering my time back then was... Uh, was a huge value add for somebody like John because he wasn't able to spend his time working the booth that weekend. But when he left the booth, walked around and he was like doing the speaker events and the different things that he had to do for his responsibilities there, he trusted that his booth was in good hands with somebody who'd been selling stuff for the last three or four years and, and was able to continue helping push the brand forward. So I say all that to say like, even when it seems like you don't have any value to add, if you if you think on it enough, if you work hard enough, you can probably add value to somebody somewhere, somehow, at a, some sort of a level, um, and uh, and you can really get your foot in the door that way. So don't discount yourself. Just ask yourself what you do have. You know, take inventory of what you do have. Is it a connection? Is it a do you, do you make some decent money? Do you do you know some people? Do you ha- have spare time? Do you, do you have a, a skill that you've that you've worked on that's that's pretty good? Are, like you're good at writing copy or whatever it is, like figure out what you can do and then figure out what they need. And the second part is way more important than the first part. You got to figure out what they need because you can't like the worst thing to do is go to somebody and be like, Hey, how do I offer value to you? Cause you yeah. basically just gave them a homework assignment and didn't yes. offer any value at all. So don't do that. Figure out what it is first and then come with the offer to the table of just like, look, I'll do this for you. I don't want anything return. I just want to help out because you've helped me so much or whatever it is. Yes. I actually think a lot about what you're saying here because the most people that I've hired have DM'd me and said that they want to provide me with something free. And, you know, like I've hired a lot of writers to help me edit and rework pieces. And anytime a copywriter DMs me and says, I'm happy to do a free blog post for you to see if you like my work. Uh, I think there's a lot of liability for entrepreneurs to ask people to submit free work. You you know, you have to pay people. So whenever I ask somebody to do work, I pay them even if I haven't hired them. And so when somebody takes that stress off of me and gives themselves the opportunity to say, hey, I would love to just write you a free blog post and you can check it out and see if you like my work. I've hired 90% of my writers and even my project managers through that random cold reach. So they were offering me their time on something that was valuable for me. And I love that you also did something really unique. You paid to be around this person. And obviously there was a benefit for you, but I think about my private practice and clients who have coached, and there's some that I connect more deeply with than others. And when I really connect with them, it's not unusual for me to forward them to someone or help them with something. So sometimes you can just pay for influence and it just depends on how badly you want it. Um, not to totally shift the conversation, but is there one or two other big networking discoveries you've had over the years? Like one that I've had is when I, and I know we're in COVID right now, but I used to go to speeches if I wanted to meet a speaker 
an hour early because the speaker always got there early and I would always be networking with the speaker and people would swarm them at the end, obviously. And I had already done my work and connected with them. And also side note, my dad lost his drone. Um, like you had a whole drone incident and no joke, he put signs around the neighborhood with a picture of his drone saying lost drone, please call. So <laughs> at least you're a little more stable. The question is, did somebody call? Yeah, somebody call and no he got thrown back. It fell in somebody's backyard. So See? there he wins. He knows. He yeah. Knows. But anyway, so I had to share that. But t- is there any other networking tips? And then I also want to ask you about rejection on yeah. the job hunt and how to even turn it into opportunity. Sure. Because I believe that when people ask for feedback, they're putting the employer in kind of an awkward position uh, because there's a lot of liability in giving feedback as an employer. And right now we have a very litigious world we're in where employees will sue companies over nothing or even non-employees. And so, you know, I know recruiters are very scared to write any ounce of feedback in an email. So I'm always curious what you say, what what you would say about rejection, but any other networking tips first? Yeah. So I'll give you a super practical one. And this is the biggest needle mover for my network since, you know, 2016, 2017. And it's, it's the podcast. And I know that you're going to think I'm a little bit biased because I have my podcast profit Academy and we teach people for a living through courses and coaching and stuff, how to build profitable podcasts, especially on the entrepreneurial space. But I started doing that. Not like it wasn't, it wasn't the reverse way. Like I started teaching the podcasting stuff because I experienced the benefits of podcasting first. I was like, why isn't anybody, why isn't everybody doing this? I'm like, I'm blown. It's blowing my mind that people don't have this as a tool that they use. And so podcasting for me was the biggest needle mover and kind of what you were saying about speakers at an event, I would do the same thing, but I would reach out beforehand and I would interview them on my podcast before the event took place. So when I'm coming into the event, especially when there's other people around, and I can go up to these speakers who everybody in the audience is like swarming, right? Especially if it's right after their talk, you know what I mean? Like this, the speaker that just talked is the one that's getting them bombarded the most. Um, and so if you can be the person that's just like out of the crowd of people that just walks up to the person that's in, that's being bombarded and you'd be like, Hey, what's up? And like, just give them like a quick, you know, a little dab or a side hug or something like that. And just say, Oh yeah, we'll connect in a bit or something like that. Like, you're automatically just perceived as somebody that's like a mover and shaker by yourself. Even if all you did was interview them on your podcast last week, it's just the fact that they recognize me. They're like, Oh, Hey, what's up, Travis? You know what I mean? Didn't know that you were going to be here Um, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? But it, it, it does wonders for person. And and as we all know, perception is reality. You know what I mean? Like who people perceive you to be is who you are in their eyes. You know what I mean? There's no, if ands or buts about it. it doesn't matter what what is actually true like perception is reality so if you can in if you can increase the credibility by which people perceive you to have then you can uh really depict how they're going to 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 view you in that sense and it probably make you a little bit more likely to be the person that gets the promotion or be the person that gets hired at the next thing or gets the next opportunity you know and i um, after doing that for a while, I, I went. I was backstage at this one event, which I shouldn't have been backstage at, which is another thing. Um, I got a backstage thing by uh, selling more tickets to the event as an affiliate than anybody else did. And so I was backstage at the event with all the other speakers. And I was talking to one of the speakers. And this other speaker saw me talking to this guy. And he had seen me at two or three other previous events. So he comes up to me and was just like, he was like, hey, man, 
I just want to come up to you and, uh, and see if there's anything I can do for you. It always seems like whoever you're talking to, you just got like positive energy and, and people, people seem to like you and, and, and view you positively. So just let me know if there's anything I can do for you. And this was at like the very beginning of my, you know, online business career. And so that one interaction was like a, what? Why? Yeah. Like the speaker that I was talking to was somebody I deeply respected and had a lot of, of, of trust in. And so the fact that they came to me and said that to me, I was just like, what? Why? Why? How? Like, uh, wh- why are you saying, you know what I mean? It was just so mind blowing. Uh, but it's, uh, I think has a lot to do uh, with the fact that, that, um, that I was able to control the perception that other people had of me by changing the frame through which they first met me or had an interaction with me. Does that make sense? I know I'm kind of like talking all over the place there, but um, that's why I think the podcast by itself has been such an amazing tool to to help push forward my networking, you know, practices. I don't think people realize how easy it is to start a podcast. I feel like everybody and their mom, I'm sure my dog Jupiter could start a podcast at this point. Like I have read a statistic and I'm pretty sure it was something around one to 3% of the U S population has a podcast. And in order to be in the top 10% of podcasts, you need more than like a thousand downloads or something like that. So I do think that if you can put in the diligence and network and create a lot of value and put, really pour yourself into it, it's an incredible personal brander. It gives you the opportunity to contact people, gives you a reason to be contacting people. That's the biggest key. Exactly what you just said, Ashley. That's the biggest key. Like I, like I tell people all the time, even if you're not starting it for downloads, if you don't care about listeners, you don't want sponsors, I don't care about any of that stuff. It's the best foot in the door that I've found across the board. And I've tried like gifts. I've tried like buying, you know, $250, you know, engraved gifts to try to send to people that I want to get in contact with. And I've, I've tried a multitude of different things. It's not like this is the only thing I've ever tried. The podcast is hands down the best way that I know how to get my foot in the door with somebody that I want to build a relationship with or have a conversation with. Uh, it's, yeah. it's just such a, it's such a low key ask. It's just yeah. like, Hey, come on my podcast. We'll talk about your book or whatever. And it's like, Okay, sure. You know what I mean? Like if I have some time, then then I'll do it. I'm not suggesting that it's super easy to get some of these like super high quality people that I brought on my show. You know, a lot of those people are difficult to get a hold of and difficult to get in touch with, but I they definitely wouldn't say yes to a sales call. Like they definitely wouldn't say yes to let me pick your brain for 3 minutes. You know, like that sounds fun for them. You yeah. know what I mean? They're definitely not going to say yes to a virtual cup of coffee, you know what I mean? Like they're going to say yes to a podcast interview because it helps them move the needle in their business a little bit. Uh, it's a huge value add. Hey, U-Turners. This episode is sponsored in part by our really good friends over at Organifi. And what I absolutely love about them as a company is that their products are perfect for someone like me who has a busy schedule but really wants her nutrients on the go. It can be really hard to set that time aside to do the juicing or eat your greens. And that is why I've particularly fallen in love with their green juice powder. This powder has become something I just throw into my protein shake to make sure I'm getting my greens on. And oddly, I've gotten so into it that now I'm throwing it into my morning coffee with a nut milk, which somehow is making my coffee taste like a peppermint coffee. No idea how that happened. But truly, even if I had the time to juice vegetables or make massive salads, I don't always love that taste of the dark leafy greens. Their green juice powder is packed with superfoods like moringa, chlorella, mint, beetroot, matcha, wheatgrass, ashwagandha, turmeric, so much more. I always give myself a little pat on the back 
when I throw a scoop of their green juice powder into my day. So if you want to give their green juice powder a try, I can't recommend it enough. Head on over to Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And make sure you use that U-Turn code at checkout for 20% off. And if you're weird like me and you throw some green juice powder into your coffee with your nut milk, please send me a DM on the gram and let me know what you think of my little concoction. All right, now let's get back to this week's episode. Yeah, I would add to that. Anybody who's going to start a podcast, contact everybody in your family, all of your cousins, because you want to get at least maybe 50 to 100 reviews, whether they're written or just five stars on the Apple Podcast app, so that when you contact these people, you are seen as someone who has listenership and has engagement. So please give yourself that jump start because obviously a lot of entrepreneurs will do that sifting. And another mind shift I had when I started my podcast was uh, somebody had asked me, how do I get famous people in my podcast? And I kind of thought, I don't really look for famous people. I look for people with content. So researchers, professors, um, and and those are pretty reasonable people to reach. And I think there's this misconception. And in fact, the more there have been a couple more famous people that have had to delete their episode and not air it because sometimes there's an element of ego where they think who they are is enough and their story is enough and it's not content driven enough. And my team listens to it and emails me and says, like, what is this? Like, we can't air this. So I think, you know, having big names isn't always the the shortcut to having a successful show. And I love what you talked about doing interviews before putting your own content out there. Um, I think that there is something about being a curator and this kind of adds to one of my networking tips. And it's so much fun to talk to you about this because I I almost, even though I'm a career expert, I never talk about networking on my podcast. I'm just get interviewing people. But one of my hacks uh, that I've given clients in the past is I tell them, you need to find an excellent LinkedIn group that's pretty niche. Like it's aligned with the kind of corporate direction you're going And finding a good LinkedIn group is like finding a diamond in the rough because there's a lot of spammy, disengaged ones. But if you really look, you will find one. And I, I tell them the same about Facebook. Find a group that is rooted in your area, in your city. Um, So it's not just something that, you know, it doesn't have to be professional like the LinkedIn one, but it has to do with where you live and maybe an interest that you have, like the cook, the chefs of LA or the, you know, like animal lovers of LA or whatever it is. And I tell them add value in the group, like post engaging content. And some people will just post an article and that's what they think to themselves is adding value. I say like curate information for people. So give the top three things you learn from the article and ask people what they think of those contrarian, interesting things. Like don't just post information, synergize information. And from there, I tell them, okay. And I always give them a challenge. I'm like, you've got three weeks. You need to make a dinner reservation for six people at the table. And you need to engage in these Facebook and LinkedIn groups for the next two weeks. You need to like three to four days a week. You need to reply to people's comments, add value where you can sit, you know, um, give conclusions of articles, ask for people's feedback, be valuable. And then in both groups post that you're hosting dinner in Los Angeles or whatever, um, or you just booked a reservation. So you have to pay for their dinner. You can say, I just booked a reservation, was thinking it could be fun to get together with some of you who's available, blah, blah, Wednesday night at 9 PM or whatever. And I challenge them 
to create community in that way and position themselves as an epicenter of community. And what happens is when you get two or even one person, then you can reach out randomly on LinkedIn to someone because you get momentum. It's an avalanche and you can reach out to somebody in your area and say, Hey, I really admire your career. Sorry for the random outreach. Couldn't help, but invite you. I'm doing a dinner with a couple corporate professionals in our niche and you know, I thought that you might love to come. It's just a reservation I booked. It'd be so fun to meet you there. And you would be amazed when you can curate community, the value that you have. So in the same way you started your podcast and you said to yourself, I don't really have any content. You are a curator and either you're the talent or you're the person that's working with the talent and bringing the talent to people. And so I just, I love that you have that perspective and wanted to offer that and just see if you had any other thoughts around creating community before I moved on to job hunt rejection. Um, yeah. And I, I can't agree with you more on the dinner stuff. I'm actually doing something very similar to that right now with all what um, we're putting on a, a, BY, a build your network guest dinner. Uh, so it's a way for me to continue to add value to the all-star roster of guests that I've had on my show. So we sent out some emails last week and we cultivated like a small dinner of 15 to 20 people uh, that uh, of people that have been on my show in the past. But it's a really fantastic way for me to continue to add value to those people and put them in a room together with a bunch of other interesting people. You know what I mean? Like this former CEO of Chipotle is going to be there and uh, New York Times bestselling authors and investors and venture capitalists and uh, um, uh, uh, like movie producers. Like we're putting just a bunch of really quality people in a room together that odds are don't even know each other. Um, And when you can be the connection piece there, there's a beautiful thing that happens where um, like you hear top of mind awareness all the time, right? Top of mind awareness, top of mind. How How do we become top of mind? That's how you become top of mind. If yeah. you can be a connection piece between multiple people and bridge gaps between communities of people where it's like, hey, we should know each other, but for some reason we don't, but you can be the person to connect those people, then you've just given them something to talk about because we're wired to search for commonality, right? We're all wired to search for commonality. So what's the first question that they're probably going to ask each other in one of those contexts, right? How do you know Travis? Yeah. I How'd love you get that. To Travis? You know what I'm saying? Like it brings you up in the whole conversation the whole time. And all it is is a big value add for you to be able to add value to other people, but it also adds a ton of value to you. It's a win-win for everybody. If you can be the facilitator and get really good at facilitating great conversations and great communities of people, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of what you were asking me at the end of our, my interview on your show. You, you said, you know, what, it, what was the question? Who, what matters more, who you know, or what you know? Mm-hmm. And I had kind of just argued not, neither. I, I care about who knows me because mm-hmm. people always say it's all about who you know, but if they don't know who you are and you're trying to get something or connect or recommend somebody to them, it's like, they don't even remember you. You don't have influence. It's your influence is really in who knows you. And when you can make yourself the center and a connector and a super connector, you have so much power. And I find that a lot of people can judge that and say like, God, you know, you're just spending your time like with this agenda, trying to get people around you. But it's such a generous thing because the more people, you know, the more people you can connect and the amount of business deals, marriages, best friendships that I've brokered. (laughs) Like it's insane. And it's just how my brain works. Yeah. And you know, friends always joke when we go out to dinner in LA, you know, like I always find somebody on the way to our table, like, Oh, hi. And they're like, how do you know these random people? And it's like, cause I like people. And so I would say if you don't love people or you're shy, this is a really good way to learn to love people and override that. So 
I know you have so much content and insight on job hunting and rejection. And actually, one of our listeners just wrote in today before our interview and said, you know, you've never really done an episode on what to do when you're rejected for a job. And I know that there's a lot of confidence and mindset episodes that we've posted just around how to process information, how to heal, how to come out of it stronger. But as it relates to the job hunt, I know that there's a lot of opportunity in the thank you note from a rejection, thanking them and keeping the door open anything like that. So I just love any insight from you on how do you turn a rejection into a positive thing in your life when it comes to job hunting? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, and it's definitely one that everybody has to master. It's one of those things that no, you don't have an option. If you want to be, if you want to be extraordinary, extraordinarily successful, meaning that you want to have success that is bigger than most people, right? You have to, have to get familiar with how to handle rejection. Um, and if you listen to Guy Raz on how I built this, he recently did a book tour for his book, how I built this and Guy Raz has the, you know, he brings on the top entrepreneurs in the world, you know, the people that are running the multi-billion dollar tech companies and stuff like that. And it's a, it's an NPR show. They get millions and millions of downloads on, uh, every month. And so this book was kind of a culmination of a lot of lessons that he learned. And one of the things that everybody, uh, on, uh, that interviewed him on this book tour seemed to ask him a lot is like, Hey, what's a commonality? All the successful people you talk to, what's a big commonality? And one that he kept referencing, this was multiple interviews. So it wasn't just like a one-off that I heard him say it. The one he kept mentioning over and over again was that successful people know how to deal with rejection and they can handle a multitude of no's in order to get to the yes. Yep. And you know, I've done a fair amount of work on this because as we talked about at the beginning, I did about six to seven years of door-to-door sales. So I've quite literally knocked on thousands of doors and been rejected in a multitude of uh, colorful uh, ways, uh, I guess I'll say. <laughs> Um, and then even starting the podcast, it was a lot of rejection at the beginning too. And this time the rejection hurt a little bit more, you know, when I was knocking on doors and like Joe Schmo would cuss me out and tell me to get off his porch, like it didn't bother me as much because who cares about what Joe Schmo thinks? You know what I mean? But when you're reaching out to people that, you know, love and respect the hell out of, and then they tell, you no, it's like, a ah, you know, that one hurt a little bit more, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, uh, the bottom line is first of all, understanding, Understanding where you are before you're rejected and understanding where you are after you're rejected. The change in your state is nothing. The only change is in your emotional state, which you have control over, which is the good news. Um, So what I mean by that is like, if you don't ask, like say you you see your favorite celebrity walking down the street and you want to go get a picture, but you're too nervous and you don't ask. Not asking is the same position that you're in if you had asked and gotten told no. So there's quite literally nothing to lose except for potentially a little bit of social capital with somebody that you're probably never going to see or meet again. You yeah. know what I mean? Like e- there's nothing really there. And I would, ar- I would even argue that you take a step forward because every time you get rejected, in my opinion, you learn a little bit better how to handle it the next time. Um, and so that's the first thing that I would say is understanding that first of all, there's nothing to lose by asking. There's nothing to lose by continuous rejection. Like there shouldn't be any sort of, from a logical standpoint, if you think through it, there's nothing that I'm losing by continuing to ask for this thing or continuing to, you know, get another job interview or whatever it might be. Yeah. The second thing to realize, sorry to cut you off. The second thing to realize is that opportunity is in abundance. Um, and if you come from a place that opportunity is scarce, that's when you start really getting down on yourself because you put, you put 
you know, a week of effort into this one job interview and then it doesn't go well. And you're like, man, I'm effed. You know what I mean? I can't, I, what am I going to do now? And it's like, well, what, what do you mean? What are you going to do now? You're going to do the same thing that you did for this one for 100 more jobs and then come back and tell me if at that point you've gotten all rejections and zero yeses, then you have the right to complain. People think they have the right to complain and whine after they like give two or three at bats. And it's like, look, the, even the, the, this in the major leagues, the best batters in the major leagues are 300 you know, that three out of every 10, that means seven out of every 10 at bats, they strike out and they're professional baseball players. Like they get paid millions of dollars to hit a baseball for a living and they get struck out seven out of 10 times. You know what I mean? Like if you're just a beginner at the beginning of your career, you have to expect that this is part of the process. You don't deserve it. You're not entitled to a job. Like just because you got a college degree doesn't mean you deserve a position somewhere. You still have to earn that just like everybody else has to earn that. And you have to adopt that mentality. Um, or you you know, life's going to be really difficult for you is, is the bottom line is that, you know, it's going to be really difficult for you if you don't learn how to, if you don't learn how to kind of cope with that. So once you realize that opportunity is in abundance, then you can go chase more opportunity. If you think that it's scarce and it's like, you're putting all your eggs in this one basket, then it's really difficult to handle that rejection. If you truly think that your career is over, if you don't get this particular job that you've been studying for, for the past three days with this interview, you know what I'm saying? So opportunities in abundance. So, um, if you can, and then the third thing I would say, uh, bef- just really quickly, I know that we're kind of running short on time here. Um, the third thing that I would say is in a rejection, you have to learn to let it hurt you a little bit less every time. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people that's going to tell you to love, learn to love rejection. I just don't think that that's realistic. You know, it doesn't ever feel good to be rejected. Um, and so the goal then is not necessarily to have it not hurt or make you happy. The goal is to mitigate the amount of hurt that it takes. So I liken it to having like confidence points, right? And I think the key to overcoming rejection is instilling more confidence in yourself and being more confident in who you are and that there's more opportunity around the corner. You just have to go find it. And so if you can mitigate or diminish the amount of confidence that a rejection takes away from you, and then you can put more deposits into your confidence bank by doing these other activities, then you'll always out you'll you'll, you'll always be outspending you'll, you'll always be out saving in your confidence bank than the spending that goes in. You know what I mean? So like if you're spend if you're spending you know whatever it is five confidence points you know just to throw out a metric here, if you're spending five confidence points whenever you get rejected, but you know that every time you keep a promise to yourself, you're depositing 10 confidence points into your bank account, then you just have to focus on more confidence building activities outside of the rejection that you face. And as long as you're not overdrawn in that confidence account, you're going to be able to just move on to the next opportunity and say, boom, that one was a no, but this one's going to be a yes. Okay. That one was a no, but this one's going to be a yes. You know what I mean? And then, and then, you know, really realizing that every no is just a not yet just means that you haven't prepared quite as much as you needed to. You don't have maybe as much experience. You maybe didn't have a connection that you, that you need. Maybe you didn't read a book that you should have read. Like there's something that you could do to put yourself in a better position to succeed in the future. And so I think it's a kind of a combination of of a lot of those things that that I just mentioned. I know it's kind of all over the place, but hopefully that's helpful. No, I love what you said. And and I love what you said about no, it is true that sometimes no, it just means not right now. And that kind of gets me back to the job hunt rejection, which is, I never really like it when people write a novel to a rejection because they already decided it's over. And now you're just asking for their time to read your, you know, Ted talk. So I would say instead, thank them, you know, tell them, thank you so much for your time. I so enjoyed 
you know, connecting with you guys. And I would love to keep the doors of opportunity open in the future. If there's any reason that this doesn't work out with your new hire, or you would love to circle back to me. And then I would just follow up with them every, you know, four to six months and check in and say that you just never forgot your interview with them. You absolutely love their energy and their company and their mission, and that you would love to be reconsidered if the opening ever resurfaces and just try that a couple times a year or something like that, or add value. Um, but I love what you're talking about here. And it's just a reminder. One of the chapters in my book, one of the headlines says life is a numbers game. And I think it's a numbers game because you get rejected a lot in order to get to where you need to go. It has to be a numbers game. And I can't even imagine what my ego would be and who we would all be as humans if we won every single time. And that's why the mantra that I always impart upon people is high intention, low attachment. And anytime people are cold networking on email, I I always tell them, make the send button, the forget button. Like as as soon as you hit send, don't like think about that email anymore. You put yourself out there. If they don't write back, they don't write back, you know, Keep the same subject line on your networking emails. I tell people when they're cold networking so you can search in your Gmail and see who you didn't follow up with and weeks later, follow up. And that's it. One follow up, one try, move on. It's a number game. And I, I wanted to close this out, not just asking you where everybody could find you, obviously, because we all know everybody needs to listen to the Build Your Network podcast. But I also... I wanted to point out something you did when I was a guest on your show. That is a really good networking move. So for me as an author, I've probably been on 75 podcasts talking about my book and I love my book so much and it can feel kind of stressful to pimp it out, like to get on the show and make sure that my time during that 45 minutes is going to translate into people looking at my book. And early into the show, I saw you said, everybody stop what you're doing right now, go get a copy of Ashley's book. And so I wanted to also remind everyone, and I felt like this was a really beautiful closing note that a great way to network with people and get their attention is just to support their work through and through. I see it when people are sharing on stories about my book, are sharing on stories about my podcast. I notice them when it's on a repeat basis. So if you don't know someone and you want to be known by them or you want to be seen by them or you want them to respond to your DM or your email, just start supporting the hell out of them. And it's not about being a creepy little swim fan, you know, like we've we've all seen those before, but it's about being a supportive human being and making sure that you can kind of get ahead on what goals some other person has in the world and how can you be someone in their life that supports them. And I, I see that on social media on all the time, whether it's Twitter or the gram or whatever. So I just thank you for all of this and want to know where can everybody find you and keep learning from you other than the build your network podcast. Yeah. You can just head over to travischapel.com. Uh, it's kind of a good hub that'll send you anywhere that you want to go. All my different social channels, however you like to connect them on all of them. Uh, so best way to, to get a hold of me, probably just travischapel.com and you can, you know, go to whatever you want to go to from there. Thanks again for coming on. Ashley, thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into the U-Turn Podcast. And again, thank you so much to our sponsors, Organifi, Soul CBD, SaneBox, and so much more. We are here because of you and our listeners. Thanks so much for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people we trust and for listening to the show, for writing reviews. Can't wait to talk to you next week. <laughs>